Don't you ever be embarrassed to cry in the office again. It's a sign of your passion. Mm. And passion is your superpowers. I was so empowered. And then he says to me, and if you ever work for someone that doesn't appreciate that, walk away. They don't deserve you. Welcome to the Rebel Souls podcast, where we flip the middle finger to the status quo. I'm your host, Shelley Paxton, lifelong rebel, liberator of souls, and author of Soulbatical, a corporate rebel's guide to finding your best life. Settle in as we dive deep with badass leaders who are rebelling for what matters most in life, business, and the world at large. I'm so happy you're here. Let's get this revolution started. Hello and welcome back, my fellow rebel souls. This is your host and OG rebel soul, Shelly Paxton. It is so good to be having this conversation, not the least of which because here in the United States, it is the dawn of a new day and the beginning of a new chapter. I'm recording this episode and this conversation with Dahlia the day after the inauguration, the Biden-Harris inauguration, and I am still, I have goosebumps from head to toe, and I'm actually like tingling as I'm telling you this, but I am still feeling in my bones at a cellular level, I love to say, the words of Amanda Gorman the youth poet laureate who I think blew the world away. The last time I looked, her Instagram had gone from, I don't know, thousands of followers to 2.7 million followers. Everyone fell in love with her. And I think we have literally broken her Instagram in our showering of love because she put the pain and the hope of this country and the world into the most beautiful words like her her poetry just sang and it landed so deep in all of our hearts and souls and was what this country and I believe the world needed to start its healing journey and I don't want to make this political which is why I don't want to talk about this in any more depth and I really want I want to focus focus on her and highlight her because where we'll put a link in the show notes. If you have not seen her, the poem that she read as part of the inauguration ceremonies, you've got to listen to it. And it ends with a call to all of us to be the light. And I couldn't think of something that just summarizes my worldview and my philosophy on everything, on being, on showing up in the world, on the energy that we bring to everything we do. I couldn't summarize it better than be the light. And the fact that that's the call to leadership for the future of this country and this world is so powerful. And she spoke it in a way I don't think any of us will ever forget. 
I I've watched it no less than four times and teared up every single time. And like I said, I'm still tingling. And the reason why I say this is one, I, I wanted to speak what I'm feeling and just how deeply moved I am by that and how deeply hopeful I am by what is to come and what we can all create together, especially, especially as we hopefully soon start to move into a post-COVID world and be the light felt like such a powerful context for my conversation with Dahlia Feldheim. This Rebel Soul conversation, you guys, it's a mic drop a minute. And the best way I can describe it is it's like a mashup of masterclasses. It's a masterclass in soul. It's a masterclass in leadership and business. It's a masterclass in psychology. And even deeper than that, it's a masterclass in like neuroscience that informs all of that. The beautiful thing about Dahlia is that this is what, how she became such a brilliant marketer. And I'll tell you about her background in a minute. She is equal parts art and science. She is equal part, you know, the feminine and the masculine. And lead like a girl is all about leading from the heart and leading with purpose and empowerment and coming with your whole self to work or to your work, whatever that looks like and creating the cultures to enable that for all of us to bring our whole selves and our superpowers and our beautiful feminine energy, whether we are men or women to this world when it needs the needs it the most. And that feels like the light to me. We've seen female leaders lead through COVID more powerfully and more successfully than male leaders in this world today. Jacinda Arden and Angela Merkel from New Zealand and Germany are two examples. And we dive into why we need more of this and what does that even mean? And Dahlia really vulnerably tells her own story from having spent 17 years as a marketer at Procter & Gamble, the world's biggest consumer packaged goods company, and working on some powerful brands with award-winning campaigns that were really purpose-driven and that challenged the status quo and that really got deep into the hearts of their customers. And then her own experience inside the walls of Procter & Gamble versus some other cultures she eventually went to. And the stark contrast that made her realize that leading like a girl is a superpower that the world needs more of. And that's led to her purpose and her work in the world now and her focus on resilience and joy and people and positivity and all these things in the workplace and psychological safety and how we create those cultures. And she shares so much of her story, even the story that she told on the TEDx stage, which we'll link to. 
but this one, you guys, it's really powerful. And I'm excited that this is coming early in the year because it feels like an infusion of the light and the soul and the energy that we need in the world right now. And it is so aligned with everything I preach about soulbatical and rewriting the script of success. This is rewriting the freaking script of leadership. And we all need to hear it because it feels like one big badass permission slip to bring all of our authentic selves to the work that we do in the world and lead from the heart and soul. So I'm going to leave you with that. I know you're going to love this conversation. Be prepared to hit rewind and want to take notes and want to dive deeper into Dahlia's work in the world because it is really timely. And I promise you, you're going to be rooting for her book to find a publisher so that we can all read it and share it with our teams and maybe even give it to a few of those leaders who, you know, weren't so progressive. You know who I'm talking about. We all have them in our lives, but I don't want to end on a bad note or a negative note. So let's be the light, you guys, in every aspect of our lives and most importantly, in our leadership. Enjoy the conversation with Dahlia. Let's dive in. Hey, welcome back, you guys. And here we are with my friend Dahlia. Dahlia, I am so excited for this conversation. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It's a huge pleasure being with. A soul sister like you, Shelly. A hundred percent soul sister. You and I were introduced through like mutual friends and colleagues last year. And it was one of those like instant connections and we've stayed in touch ever since. And I'm incredibly grateful. And I've been waiting for this moment when you and I get to have one of our soul sister conversations in this forum where all of our fellow rebel souls get to listen and eavesdrop in on all of your pearls of wisdom. So let's start with, you know, my favorite question. What are you rebelling for? I love that question, first of all. So I am rebelling for leaders, women and men daring to lead from their heart. Mm. So this means really bringing back into the workplace our passion, our purpose, you know, perseverance, people, positivity. So we'll talk a little bit more about that. But, you know, this daring to lead from the heart. I recently heard from uh, my friend and uh, mentor, Paul Polman, that he keeps referring to the word courage, okay, as one of the most misunderstood words. People understand it to mean, you know, taking decisions that others don't, etc. But courage actually comes from the French word cœur, which means heart. So it's really those courageous leaders that lead from the heart. And sadly, we're not seeing enough of that today. Sadly, we have too much of the archaic, more masculine leadership style, competition, power over people. And I've seen, you know, it's not effective. So I am rebelling for bringing back our hearts 
into the workplace. Oh my God, so beautifully stated. And you know how passionate I am about this. I mean, when I talk about sabbatical, it's all about living and leading with more authenticity, more courage, and more purpose. So you hit on two of those three pillars, right? And actually the third one fits right in too, but that's exactly it. And I, it's one of the reasons I've studied Brene Brown's Dare to Lead work and became a certified facilitator in her work because the dare to lead, like daring leadership model, like there's just not enough of it. You know, she says daring leadership versus armored leadership and armored leadership is kind of that archaic model you talk about, right? It's power over and there isn't vulnerability and there it isn't leading from the heart, right? It's more outside versus inside. So I love, and I'm so curious, I want to dig into your experience because So I know a lot about you because you and I have had some amazing conversations over the course of the past year, and I want everybody to learn more about you. So the reason you have the really wicked cool accent that you have is because you're Israeli, right? A complete mix. Yes. I'm British Israeli. So my made in England, born in Israel, as my mom came over pregnant, but my accent became a total mess. I've been outside of Israel now 23 years around the world. So yeah, people, I like the guessing name, but people never guess where I'm from. So Ooh, I like that. Well, that's part of your mystery, girl. You got to hold on to that. <laughs> I think that's amazing. And you're coming to me from Singapore. So that's where you've been for, I know, for quite a while. And well, the reason I brought up the Israeli thing is it's like, to me, you have like badass rebel in your blood, right? Like when I, when I first met you and as I've like read more about you, I'm like, damn, this woman used to be a platoon commander in the Israeli army, like she has got it in her blood. So it's really interesting to me that you have that background. You've been in business for more than 20 years. You've been an executive in the marketing space, much like me. This is a big place where you and I first bonded. And you're talking about leading from the heart. So help me make sense of all of that. So I'll, I'll share a little bit, you know, my story and maybe how I got to rebelling for leading for this, for this mm, cause. I guess. Yeah. So, yeah, I grew up in Israel. You know, I, uh, they always said that I had healthy chutzpah. Chutzpah is a Yiddish word that means, you know, daring and cheekiness. Okay. So challenging the norms, you know, I was a competitive gymnast and as you said, a platoon commander, which... I bring up, you know, it's a, I always call it my crash course in perseverance, right? That's 19 leading 250, you know, soldiers. It's a, (laughs) you're thrown straight into it. And I think it was a really meaningful, um, meaningful experience. Um, I studied psychology and business and, you know, we keep on saying my feet are on the ground, but my head is in the sky. So that's where the business grounding and the psychology and I've always been really passionate about both and uh, actually straight I was supposed to continue into a master's in psychology straight from university but then Procter & Gamble came to the university and it was a big deal because it was the first time that they came to recruit so I'm like okay let me apply and then I got accepted and I came to my boyfriend then I'm like hey I got accepted Procter & Gamble Geneva and he's like whoa skiing in Geneva let's go So lucky for me, you know, I have a crazy entrepreneur husband that kind of loves adventure as much as I do. 
So we packed and moved to Geneva with the intent of staying just a few years. Uh, those few years stayed, you know, 23 years now we're outside of uh, Israel. So we've been in Geneva, we moved to Moscow for three years, back to Geneva. We moved to Singapore in 2010, uh, where we've been since then. But yeah, that's a little bit, you know, my, my background. Um, but I think, you know, the big thing and where we connected is this whole area of, you know, soul, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I was very happy to discover that leadership is all about, you know, the psychology and business. And if you don't have that soul at work, you know, you're, you're not bringing your full self to work. So I'll tell you when, you know, it landed with me. Yes, and- keep preaching. I feel like I'm in church right now, the kind of church I like to go to. <laughs> No, this is awesome. Okay, keep going. Because, you know, when you say the word soul, I like lean like four more inches closer to my screen. So (laughs) go for it. No, it's actually if when I reflect back on my 17 years in PNG, I think the, um, you know, success that I had there, because the company was very conducive for me bringing my full self to work and kind of really being people first and purpose driven and So I remember, you know, I just started and we were all, you know, we were losing share in Israel and among 18 year olds. So where are 18 year olds in Israel? They're all in the army, right? So then I said, let's do a program, an army sampling for all the women entering the army. But in order to convince the army, we had to come up with a nice idea. So we created this wash pack that was really functional with places for tampons and pads, et cetera. And uh, we convinced the army. The army thought it was a great idea. And, you know, just before we launched, I was sitting in my office and I'm like, yeah, this is a, I know it's a very valuable kind of gift, but I want more. And I was, you know, I want to write a letter that will really talk to their hearts, you know, as an ex-platoon commander a few years just before. So I sat down and I started writing and I really put myself in, you know, their shoes, sitting on the bus, saying goodbye to their parents, going into the unknown, you know, coming back once every two, three weeks. I just sat and I, of course, talked about, you know, hygiene in the army and why we created this. But I also talked about how proud they should be, you know, serving as equal. Right. You know, and it was just a whole kind of really and as an ex-platoon commander, you know, you should be very proud of yourself, etc. So I fell asleep. And in the office, the next day, my boss came into the office and he's like, what are you doing here? And I'm like, oh, I just wrote this note as an inspiration for the agency. And he was kind of, can I see the notes? And he immediately teared up. Okay, I had an amazing first boss that taught me all about connecting to our feminine energy and hearts. And he's like, Dahlia, I want you to sign this note with your real name, ex-platoon commander, we're shipping it as is. Oh my God. I have head to toe chills. As you say that I did not know any of this. (gasps) So I told you, I have a lot of things you don't, (laughs) I'll bring up. But anyway, so we shipped it out. And what's most amazing is two days after kind of the initiative started, I was, you know, our consumer service, we were inundated with calls from girls and moms just saying, thank you for being there at such an important, look, I'm tearing up. And such an important moment. And, you know, my daughter now is 18. She went back to Israel to to do the army. I can totally resonate with all of that. And, you know, when I got these calls back, I realized that I'm not in the business of selling pads. I'm in the business of people empowerment. 
and women empowerment. And that's when, that's when it landed, you know, that was kind of my purpose. And I can tell you that, you know, I, that's what led me throughout my career. You know, I have a lot of many similar different stories of kind of bringing it to life uh, around the world. But it was really this notion that I'm here to do something bigger than yes. just myself. And that gets at purpose, right? And I know you talk about purpose-driven leadership too, but when I think about it, it's like, yeah, you hit on people. Like people empowerment to me is the definition of leadership. Yeah. Complete. Like how beautiful, right? Yeah. And, and you know, I can tell you... Um, it, it was, I mean, maybe I'll just share the, the, the round, the story of kind of, you know, so that was kind of the beginning for me, but maybe I'll, you know, if you, if you ask me what I'm most proud about this kind of people. So people is not, is both your team that you're working directly with, but, you know, also, you know, the consumer that I was, the consumers that I was serving, the, the customers, you know, really, really thinking about what are my, you know, what is purpose? What are my strengths? What am I passionate about? And how can I make a contribution in the world? And maybe I'll share one more story. And, you know, it just kind of that's when I talk about purpose, you know, I bring out this story. It's, it's a story I didn't tell, I don't tell very often. So uh, two of these stories, I think I haven't spoken. Yeah, about. bring it on before we get to the juicy TEDx talk too. <laughs> I want to hear this. Well, this didn't go into the TEDx because TEDx needs to be just 11 uh, to 12 minutes. But um, so this one is, you know, so I grew up with PNG with this passion of, you know, both in the people development, you know, I ended up uh, with my boss creating a course on people development. And it was not only my own people, it was people outside the organization. We had, you know, I established a women's network in, in Moscow and later in Singapore. So it was very clear, you know, as a leader, that my key role is developing others. Okay, Simon Sinek says it's nicely, you know, a leader, you're not leading the business, you're leading the people that lead the business. We mm. talk more about that. But it would also enable me to connect with the people also in the day-to-day -day work, be it customer, customers, consumers. So I'll tell you just one more story and then we'll, we can get into other uh, the TEDx. But um, so in 2010, I moved to Singapore. It was also one of these you know, crazy entrepreneur, you know, it was the place to be fast growing, etc. My key market was India. And I can tell you, I fell in love with women in India. You know, you're I speaking to my soul. It's the same reason I have a, my nose pierced. It's because I was so inspired by all the time I spent in India. I think, you know, in, in general, women in developing market, but, you know, I just landed there it was 2011. I was on the outskirts of Mumbai. I, I still remember I landed at 7 p.m. And as I was driving to the hotel, I suddenly caught a glimpse of this girl reading a book, but she didn't have electricity. So she was reading to the light of the passing cars. Mm. Okay, that's commitment for you. So anyway, the next morning, we are doing consumer in-homes, as you know, you know, in marketing, how important we go into, you know, live as, understand how they're living and how our products can better help their lives. So anyway, we go into this house. It was a middle-class house and we walk in and we see this girl that we came to speak with sitting on the floor. Her mom comes in and she's serving us drinks 
And then she's serving her on the floor in metal plates. Hmm. We were kind of a little puzzled. Um, literally, she was kind of sitting, I still remember vividly, she was sitting against a, a blue wall and where she was sitting was kind of, you know, worn out as if she sits there often. Anyway, aunts and uncles come in and they're greeting her mom and then they're greeting her on the floor. And for a moment, I caught this glimpse in her eye, this, you know, as her uncle greeted her, this embarrassment, this sadness. I couldn't exactly put my, you know, finger on it. So anyway, we leave the house and I told the agency, well, what was that all about? And she said, well, she was on her period. And I say, well, so what? She said, well, we in India have all these myths about period that you're impure. So you're not allowed to go into the kitchen. You're not allowed to sit with us. And in many uh, uh, houses, you're not allowed even to sleep. So the girl literally sits and, and sleeps on the floor. And I was like completely taken aback. Um, you know, think about the embarrassment that teenagers already have for being in the period. And then, you know, this uncle, I could understand the sad look, the uncle comes in and suddenly everyone knows that she's on her period and she's kind of shorn, you know, as, as impure, as dirty. I couldn't sleep the whole night. I can tell you, you know, that everything I could think about was that sad look yeah, on the girl. Of course. And so then I told the agency, I'm like, we need to do something about it. And she said, listen, but it's, it's culture, it's myth. And she said, but yeah, I too, you know, the, the reason for it originally was positive to allow women to rest for that week. But today it evolved into something that's kind of, you know, denigrating. And so I said, listen, I'm a foreigner, but we need to do something about this. So why don't you take it, you know, and let's see what we can do. And a year later, we decided to come at it from more of a humor point of view. And when she was explaining to me the myth, she told me, Dalia, yeah, it's crazy. You know, we even believe a woman on her period is not allowed to touch pickles because they will, she will make them go sour, okay, rot. And, you know, that was, it's a very established myth. So our campaign ended up being, I dared, I touched the pickle. And it's all about a granddaughter talking to her grandma about, you know, I did, I wore white, I went out, I went to school, you know, I touched the pickle. And I can tell you, I'm proud of a lot of things in my career, but that went crazy. The most viral ad in 2014, there were TED Talks about it, Bollywood actress. It really started, you know, women empowerment before Me Too. And I'm bringing that as an example mm. of how at work, I mean, I today work with clients on finding your purpose. And it doesn't always mean leaving and kind of living in the Himalayas, okay? And often it's about how you can bring more of you, of what you're passionate about into helping the business. And there was always business results associated, but through connecting with our consumers with the heart. So, so that's just a little bit about, you know, the background that, uh, you know, the 17 years in P&G that I call them my years of flow. When I realized how important, I mean, you know, the term flow, Mikai, Chikmikai, it's a name that's hard to pronounce, but the, the Czech positive psychologist that talks all about the importance of flow at work. And this is like meditation and action. It's being in the zone. It's really knowing what you're good at and just, 
you know, doing it with all your passion. So for me, you know, that was the great example of how I want everyone in the workplace to be, you know, bringing their full self and their passion and purpose to work every day. And I, I love this, that story. I mean, actually both of those stories, I have goosebumps and I, it makes me think of, I mean, it's, you are so, it's heart-led leadership and so purpose-driven. I mean, I'm, I'm still reflecting on your words of like, you know, we're all part of humanity, part of our humanness is that we're striving to be bigger than something, bigger, something, to be part of something bigger than ourselves, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and it, it really does come from inside of us and inside of others. And what you seem to have so successfully done is you've gone beneath the surface and you've challenged the status quo, which is one of the, this, this is the premise of this whole podcast is we are flipping a middle finger to the status quo. And we're really, you know, rebelling for the impact we want to have in the world. And you through all these stories are talking talking about massive cultural impact by simply shifting how we lead. Yeah. And, you know, the middle finger, if you like, or, you know, I gained my purpose in PNG, but it wasn't really until I reached the lowest point of my career, you know, a culture where that wasn't accepted, that I realized that it's not just important, it's critical. And, you know, I talk a little bit about it uh, in the TED and, you know, it's really the contrasts of these two experiences. Do you want me to share that a little bit? Yeah, I would love, I would love it. We are absolutely going to put a link to your TEDx talk in the show notes because I want everybody to see it from beginning to end. But honestly, it doesn't, I've watched your TEDx talk so many times and I watched it again last night. It's not a spoiler alert because I can't hear you say it enough times and I never stop getting goosebumps. So I would love for you to talk about what led you to, because this is to me so critical to why you are doing this for a living now and rebelling for this heart-led leadership and making it your life's work in essence. So yeah, can you talk about that and then kind of seeing the the exact opposite and now why you're doing your work and writing your book? And I think that'll open up all kinds of juicy topics. So yeah, I think, you know, it's really interesting because uh, people often come to me with kind of pain and suffering, but it's really our pain that helps us sharpen our purpose. And, you know, every time I tell my clients, I mean, this, when they're going through the hard thing, this is a gift. You can't understand it now, but this is a gift. And I got my gift. Now it's going to be six years ago. So after, you know, a thriving career with PNG, you know, where we didn't talk about that one, but, you know, another thing that I'm super proud of, you know, is the campaign Dare to Lead Like a that sorry, <laughs> run like a girl. You see, I converted it already. Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> run like a girl, which was uh, in 2014, and another one of these big soulful. You know, we were all about women empowerment, and we sat together. We were former marketing directors, and like, how do we elevate our equity from protection to women empowerment? And like the work that we've been doing, you know, in India, etc. And You know, I never, I'm very careful not to take credit on this because this is the agency. We gave them a kick-ass brief 
And they came up with this idea of run like a girl. And, you know, I talk a little bit about that. And, you know, I hope many of your listeners will also check that one out. But it's, I also refer to it. I got permission from the CMO of Procter Gamble to add it into the TED Talk, which is not very common. But it's really, you know, the whole notion that you ask a young girl, what does it mean to run like a girl? And she would say, what do you mean? It's run as fast as you can. But somehow, you know, during puberty, it becomes an insult. And that's kind of what we really wanted to challenge, to reclaim that phrase like a girl to mean, you know, be proud uh, to be who you are. And I, as I mentioned, I was always really proud to be who I was. I, you know, grew up in a culture that enabled me to, you know, to, to be who I was. And, uh, and I'll tell you the story of the contrast. So, you know, First of all, my first kind of experience with PNG, as I mentioned, was an experience of flow and being who I was, was just kind of part of it. And very early in my career, you know, I think it was like six months into my job uh, way back, uh, way back then, I was in my boss's boss's office. So the general manager, because one of my initiatives hit a launch. Okay. And, you know, it was something that was completely out of my control. My, my uh, products were stuck in customs and I was sitting in his office trying to figure out what we would do. And I was getting super frustrated, right? Because it wasn't in my control. I've been working on this for three months. It was my heart and soul kind of launch and it wouldn't be perfect as I wanted it. And I was so frustrated and angry. And me, when I get, well, anytime I get emotional or frustrated, especially, I start to tear so I'm sitting in my general manager's Shelly. I'm like, you know, okay, it's my manager's manager, right? I'm sitting in his office and I'm tearing and I'm like, oh my God, you know, frantically, I'm trying to kind of regain composure. Now, my boss, his name is Jim Lafferty. He's a friend and mentor until today. He smiles at me and he offers me a box of tissues. And, you know, I'm, I'm wiping my eyes and I'm trying to regain my composure and then he says something to me that really carried me throughout my career. He said to me, Dalia, don't you ever be embarrassed to cry in the office again. It's a sign of your passion. Hmm. And passion is your superpowers. I was so empowered and then he says to me, and if you ever work for someone that doesn't appreciate that, walk away. They don't deserve you. Imagine, right? Amen is all Amen. I can say. Genius. And he lived that. And to be honest, 17 years, I had many managers like Jim, you know, that focused on my strengths, you know, saw my passion as a strength, not as a weakness, as a sign of passion, who nourished me, who brought out the best in me. And I was, you know, I, that was why I was in flow. That was why I was able to do all this, this amazing work that built the business because I was my whole complete authentic self. Leading from the heart. Completely. Yeah. But I'll tell you the contrast because I think that really put it, you know, this mirror in front of me that, you know, Jim was so right. And this is a cause worth fighting for. So 
17 years later, and I won't go too much into this, but I left uh, P&G to become chief marketing officer of Asia for another company. Great company, okay? And that's kind of another learning that you can have a great culture, but it's really your direct manager that makes the biggest impact. So took on the role. It seemed like a dream job. I was head of all marketing in Asia, 150 people. Beautiful. Two months into the role, I got a new boss. And... You know, him and I could not be more different, okay? I always say it's like, you know, fire and water. So I was all about, you know, passion and people and positivity. And he was all about numbers and scorecards and ROI. And sometimes we jokingly said that it was ROI or you die. Mm. Sure, some of our listeners can resonate because, you know, hear the numbers later, but sadly... You know, that's all too common um, in the business world today. So anyway, I was, you know, being myself, right, as I was kind of used to be. And, you know, in one of our first meetings, he said to me, my boss, he said, you know, Dalia, I'm not going to waste my time on what you're good at. I'm only going to focus on what you need to fix. Ouch. Ouch. And then this is for you, Shelly. And then he added... And don't kid yourself, there's no art in marketing. It's only science, <laughs> right? Ooh, <laughs> that is a match right? made in hell. I think that's, isn't that what you said in the, in the TED Talk? I was like, yes, indeed. I've been in those relationships. It's fucking painful. It's painful because it's so different. Now, how do you stay authentic in this relationship, right? You know, how do you stay what do you do? How much do you keep? How much do you evolve? Right? How do you, how do you not only survive, but thrive? So I was quite a feisty little girl, if you like, right? I was raised in a culture where conflict is respect because, you know, I speak my mind. Amy Edmondson talks about psychological safety, about, you know, being able to speak your mind, to bring yourself, because when you speak your mind, you're moving things forward. You're able to create. I mean, there's a reason why Israel is a startup nation, because, you know, this openness is, is helping innovation and bringing things forward. So I was trying to bring my, be myself and, you know, maybe a few months into the role, I was kind of summoned. And I, I use this story because it's such a contrast. So I'm summoned into my boss's office. And then um, I, you know, I was in another meeting. He used to kind of summon me like the head uh, headmaster. I was the only woman in the leadership team. And another important dimension that I learned is the um, uh, dimension of mirror leadership. People mirror the leader. When the leader is in a good mood, behaves well, his people will mirror him. And sadly, the same happens to the opposite. And that's kind of it. It became a lot of great people. My colleagues were great people. And that's what has, you know, shocked me. But there was an openness to acceptance of judgments and cutthroats. And so this was kind of the environment. So anyway, I'm pulled into the office and he started berating me, okay, and feedback. And I love feedback. I believe feedback is the cornerstone of great leadership. But feedback needs to be candor with care. Oh, this is daring leadership. This is right. 
tough love. We used to call it in PNG, tough love. Mm-hmm. Don't sugarcoat things. You're just hurting your people more. Okay, but they need to know that it comes from the heart and then it lands with the heart. So I'm all for tough love, but I can tell you that day there was no love in that room. It was just berating and really humiliating, you know, very personal, very, you know, you know, beyond the professional feedback. And I'm holding it in. So now I'm a C-suite woman, right? The only woman in the team. So I'm really holding it in. And then he moves to insult my team. And that's when... I became a lioness, you know, <laughs> you know how it is when you're, Oh, this is mama bear. <laughs> so hard. It wasn't mama bear. This was like, you know, it was, it was claws were out, you know, how dare you, you know, how hard they were working. And I was so angry and frustrated. And as I told you, when I get frustrated, I tear. Now I'm sitting in his office and a tear comes into my eyes and he smiles at me and he offers me this box of tissues and I had this warm, fuzzy feeling, you know, remembering Jim, right? And then I noticed something almost kind of weird in his smile. He turns around the tissue box. And Shelly, I know you've seen it before, but my heart sank. On the other hand of that tissue box, he had a handmade sticker that read Dahlia's tissue box. As if he knew I would come in, he knew I would start crying, and he prepared this joke. And it was so denigrating. I, I literally was stunned. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like with the little dignity that I had. I mean, this is an HR assault. And he's like, oh, come on, Dalia, Stop being so emotional. This is boy banter. I know you have a sense of humor. Boy banter. I hate that word. Mm. Boy banter is bullying. Okay. And there's no sense of humor when it comes to denigrating other people. And I can tell you, I think the reason I'm telling the story and, you know, It's really not about the personalities. It's really about, you know, what happened to me after that. So I told you I was, I'm a feisty girl. So I'm like, I'm not going to quit. Why should I quit? I love what I'm doing. I love my team. He should quit, right? So I became even more resilient. And first year when you're attacked, right? And this is kind of, I studied that and I spent a lot on, you know, they say research is research, right? You want to understand kind of what what went on there. Why did I stay? What else could I do? So first year I was like, you know, when you're attacked, your natural instinct is fight. And I was all about defending myself and fighting back and giving feedback because I grew up, right, in authenticity and congruency. And I I kept on thinking I can coach him. And, you know, why do you need, I once told him, why do you need to stab and then turn? Isn't enough just to stab? You know, I was trying to use humor, but in a way to, to give feedback, you know, that that's not the way to kind of manage me. And I ended up realizing that the more kind of resilient I became, the more, you know, harsh he became. So the next year, right, there's fight and then there's flight. So the next year... I said to myself, I was an executive coach. I did my coaching course at the time. And I said, okay, there's a lesson for me. Okay, I really believe that every hardship has a lesson. So let me shut up and listen. And all I did that year is try to listen and fix. I was obsessed with fixing everything that he thought needed fixing. Okay, and... 
I hired a data scientist and we worked, we focused solely on numbers and scorecard. And at the end of that year, I fell sick. Hmm. We delivered the scorecard, but I lost my soul. And that's where I fell sick. And I can tell you, you know what, kind of my wake up call, because people said, you know what, what changed? In the beginning of year three, I actually attended a PNG alumni event. Okay, for the first time, I flew to Cincinnati. And you know the feeling, I walked into the room and the first uh, presentation I still remember was servant leadership. And I just sat down, like I planked in my chair and I said, this is home. This is how it needs to be. It's not that I'm crazy, right? This is how it needs to be. And then that kind of shook me. And I realized that, you know, I'm in a toxic environment and, you know, I need to get out. But I'm a very result-driven person. And I made all these commitments to the CEO and to my people. So I made the decision that I'm going to give myself another year, but I am going to drop the fear because for the first time ever, there, there was fear. You know, I, I, every email I sent, I spent an hour going over it to make sure because I knew I would be grilled like crazy. That's insane. Think about productivity. Well, no, it is. And this is, this is where we're driven to when you said it, like psychological safety is key. Google did that study, the, their project Aristotle study that said that is the number one yeah. trait of high performing teams. So when you don't feel safe, you're not performing your best. You're not, not bringing yet. your best self to work. The brain is hijacked. Okay. Because yeah. you know, our amygdala, our emotional uh, center and our frontal cortex where our rational thinking, I always say they operate like a seesaw. When one is aroused, the other one is, dep is depressed. And literally I became, I wouldn't say dumb. I know I'm a smart, I know my numbers, but when you're in situations of fear, I remember a situation where I mixed up exchange rates, okay, and numbers, okay? I was talking in dollars in in term, in, instead of, anyway, it was just, you know, your brain is just not functioning. And I later on researched it. And that's the first thing that happens to us. So we're not productive. You know, people think that fear, you know, maybe that archaic, command and control style of management was right. You know, when we were industrial line, line, when it was all about simple tasks, but when we need to create, we need to bring art, we need to manage people. This is conducive, you know, it's ineffective. So, so I said to myself, okay, I'm going to leave, but not before I drop my fear and I bring my heart and my art back into the workplace. Now he wanted science and I was determined to prove that marketing is science and art. And, you know, together with my team, we created a campaign and, you know, I wouldn't go too much. It was for a washing machine, but it was bringing the passion back into washing machine through your favorite item. Okay. That's what you're passionate about. And it was called, you know, fashion care. And it was all about kind of it. Anyway, it was very, very outrageous for the category and the situation, but it was also very data-driven. We created a whole model list. So it was really about learning to, you know, the win-win, giving him what he needed by, by, but not losing myself. And, you know, that was the key thing that kind of I learned that, you know, stop being externally validated. 
so dependent on external validation, right? And trust your own strengths because it's only that third year when I came back to my strengths that I was able to succeed. And yeah, those three years were challenging, but as you said, that's why I'm here today. And I decided to turn my pain into my purpose. So that's how I got to it. I love it. And this is in that really like walking away from that after your success, but understanding the stark contrast between those two cultures was what really inspired your, I mean, one of the platforms you stand on is dare to lead like a girl. Yeah. Because what you're really talking about is getting in touch with that feminine energy, which is very heart led, which is very people driven right? So I'm super curious, how else do you describe it when somebody says, what does it mean to dare to lead, to dare to lead like a girl and create, you know, conditions in an organization or a culture to be able to do that? What does it look like? What guidance do you give? So, you know, I think that dare to lead like a girl is a provocation, right? It's built on the like a girl It's playing homage to that campaign. And it's really, I'm not talking only to women. I'm talking to all leaders, right? Because we all have, I mean, there's no female or masculine brain. We all have feminine traits and masculine traits. So lead like a girl is being able, you know, a leader. I really believe that great leadership is genderless, right? Mm -hmm. Amen. Completely. But it's being able, I mean, my friend Nilima Bad talks about it as a continuum, okay? There's positive feminine, which is all around empathy and teamwork. Yeah, because we were the gatherers. We do, and this is scientifically proven, we do sit with empathy longer, mm. okay? You know, men often, and it's the classical, sit with empathy for a minute, and then the area in their brain that is about problem solving jumps up and they come into solutions. So men, if you're listening, okay, sometimes your woman just wants to share. She doesn't want you to fix. So sit with there. You know, empathy is just really trying to understand the world from, from the other person's point of view. So empathy and teamwork and, you know, intuition, right? I'm big into Bud- Buddhism and the importance of the female intuition in Buddhism, Wisdom is actually female because it's all around wisdom through intuition, okay? Then we have the positive masculine, and that's where data and logic and direction come in. And we need that. We need both, okay? So great leadership is really flowing between the two. But what happens in the business world today is that the business world sang to what Nilima calls wounded masculine. And wounded masculine is this world of scarcity, It's this world, as we spoke about, where competition, you know, where power over people, where really this archaic model of, you know, I need to bring someone else down to win. It's this constant win-lose mindset. Yeah. Now, the interesting thing is, so that's where the business world is today. And when I say dare to lead like a girl, it's dare to lead more like a girl. It's shifting the pendulum. So we're more in the positive masculine, positive feminine world. But the interesting thing, it's also for, for women that there is also the wounded feminine. The wounded feminine is when we're attacked by a wounded masculine, we drop into that, you know, weaker state of dependability, defending, you know, over-reliance, 
And it's interesting because when I reflect back for 17 years, I was in this positive, yeah, I'm a kick-ass. I'm a result-driven, you know, fast decision maker, you know, daring, logic, right? The positive masculine. But I really believe that it's through with people, that it's with teams that you get the best results. But in this three years when I was attacked by a wounded masculine, I dropped into my wounded feminine as well. I allowed my strength to be questioned. I spent most of my energy defending myself. You know, that's what fear did to me. And if it did it to me, I really believe, you know, it can happen to anyone because I really grew up, you know, fearless. But yet when you're constantly attacking and that kind of became a game, you also start questioning yourself. And that's why I'm on a mission also for women to stop questioning ourselves, to really dig into our superpowers and step up, right, into that courage of leading like a girl. Okay, so this is both for men to step into their more feminine traits and for women to own them, to be proud of them. It's a strength and we're seeing it, you know, in the world today, right, with COVID and, you know, seven out of the nine more effective countries were, you know, led by women. And you mentioned, you know, the the recent Harvard Business Review that talks about- Yes. Okay. I've got to highlight this because as I was telling you before we started recording, this was one of those, I have goosebumps again. This was from everything that you're saying and the synchronicity of what happened. So just to put a finer point, I mean, the most dangerous thing that can happen is that we doubt our own superpowers. And that's exactly what you just described. So I just want to shine a light on that again to say yes to everyone who's listening, our fellow rebel souls, like this is our strength. This is what we're rebelling for. Like rebel for your superpowers and bring them into whatever work you're doing in the world. Dahlia, you just, I mean, your stories all just so beautifully support that. And talking about the power of tapping into our feminine energy as leaders, whether masculine or feminine, this Harvard Business Review research was so interesting. So it dropped into my inbox last night from my business partner, Lori, who had no idea that I was having this conversation with you today. And it's entitled, Women Are Better Leaders During a Crisis done literally just conducted in December of 2020. So not, you know, about probably a month ago. Right. And the headline is exactly what you described. And it just, it makes me giddy. Like I can't stop smiling (laughs) for those of you who aren't watching the video. Like both of us are beaming right now because there is so much science behind this. And now there's really current research behind that's coming out of workplaces and out of countries in terms of female leaders handling the COVID crisis. And so this particular study was based on 360 reviews that where women were rated by those who work with them as more effective and having higher engagement amongst their teams. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll tell you the history of that research, because I actually ended up quoting it 
an earlier version of it in my TED. So my TED came out before COVID, December, okay? Yep. Of, I mean, it was recorded, sorry, in uh, December of 2019. It came out in June. And in that kind of TED, I quote a previous but similar Harvard Business Review that, you know, in 2012, they wanted to understand why there are not enough women in leadership roles. So they did this, are women as good as men in leadership? Okay, and the answer was yes. In 2019, June of 2019, they did this research again, and they found that women actually scored better than men in 17 out of 19 leadership traits. Now, those were things like integrity, things like intuition, things like resilience, things like teamwork, okay, which we would say are more the feminine, but it was also things like risk-taking, things like, you know, results, innovation. And that's kind of the, 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 the piece that, you know, and, and, and Paul Pullman, bless him, you know, the ex-CEO of Unilever talks about, instead of trying to change women to fit the business world, why aren't we learning from women, right? Because there is so much proof that this working with your heart is better for business. And then this recent Harvard Business Review that you, you talk about brings in the current events that, you know, when we look at countries dealing with COVID, again, my, you know, my idol of the day is really Jacinda Ardern from New Zealand. Yes! Really, I mean, wow. I mean, what a leader, okay, with her one-year-old baby, right, making fast decisions. I mean, she, she captured my heart still in the bombing in Christchurch where she shed a tear with empathy. And the same day, she took a very tough decision on, you know, limiting gun use, etc. So she, she has this empathy and, you know, decisiveness moving forward, etc. And she, I mean, I put a quote of hers, you know, that I love. I mean, why, why can't empathy, compassion, and strength, you know, work together? Why are leaders seeing empathy as a weakness? It's really our strength. And now, you know, how she's dealing very, you know, on the one hand, she closed the border. She was the first to close the border, really kind of decisive, fast, etc. But then on the other hand, you know, how she's talking and, you know, to the people, how she's bringing people together. I mean, the issue that we see in so many other markets right, is people are not listening, people are not being disciplined. And she was able to say, guys, we're all in it together. We have to care for each other. This is the time to come together. And this, this notion of, you know, if I'm not wearing a mask, I am endangering everyone, not only myself. And, and this bringing people together is what enabled her. So that's really what leading more like a girl is all about. And to your point, you know, I when I decided to leave that company, I decided to take a little bit of a break and I did my master's in organizational psychology in INSEAD. And there I kind of realized that what happened to me is, you know, sadly way, way too common. Yeah. Another kind of data that I quote that for me is so telling is the fact that, you know, 87% of employees today are sparkless or not engaged in the workplace. They feel their companies do not embrace them as whole human being, 
You know, only 13% are engaged at work. Only 30% have this passion at work. This is insane. It insane. makes my heart so heavy. And how do companies and the leaders within those companies expect to get creativity and innovation and purpose-driven work like what you've described in your career with people who aren't feeling it? No, exactly. You can't. You can't. And, you know, that's the thing that sometimes people say, oh, heart, it's fuzzy, it's soft, you know, emotional intelligence is soft. It goes straight to the bottom line. Another number that I like to quote, and there's a lot of research on that, on the cost of this, right? So only 13% engagement, even worse, 20% are actually so engaged, they're hostile at work. And the cost of that is $7 trillion in stress-related disease. So just think about it. Absentism, stress, you know, just be in there and not really be in there. So all those managers that come and say, this is soft, sorry, guys, you're, you're missing the point big term. This is as hard as it gets. $7 trillion in stress-related disease. Now, the interesting point, so that's where I did my thesis on psychological safety and psychological danger in the workplace and on what you can do. Can you coach yourself out of a toxic environment. Because as I said, research is me search. I really wanted to understand, was there anything I could do differently? And I did learn that happiness and resilience can be taught. And I'll talk about that a little bit. In you are singing. Yes. Let's, let's <laughs> dive into that because you are, you're singing the soulbatical from the soulbatical hymn book, right? Like you, you are, sisters. <laughs> I know this is like our, our passion, well, our pain and our passion and purpose that came from that pain are so intrinsically connected for exactly this reason, because we've seen that, that burnout and that disengagement and that kind of emptiness and gone, it doesn't have to be that way. Exactly. And I can tell you, you know, I think my, so the studies, I already started to say, you know, it doesn't have to be. And I, and I told you, you know, I think my aha that made me throw away, you know, a lot of money and a thriving career to decide this is what I'm going to focus is when, you know, I, so basically I did my, uh, my thesis, my master's, and then I started in parallel also studying happiness. Mm. And I met a dear friend, Professor Talvin Shaha, I can't kind of, you know, I am so grateful for all these people that came into my life. He has become my second career mentor, if you like. Professor Talvin Shaha is, he hates when I say guru, so he, I'll call him happiness teacher. He, you know, uh, was one of the, he led the most popular course in Harvard for positive psychology. And today he has the Happiness Studies Academy. So we met, actually, we spoke in a conference and I told a little bit my story and he snuck in, we met the night before and he snuck in to listen to my talk, which was amazing. And at the end, he told me, Dahlia, you need to speak on TED, you need to write a book. So he kind of planted that idea in my head. And then, you know, two months later, he's like, hey, why don't you join my Happiness Studies Academy? And it was like, I was in the middle of the INSEAD master, you know, it was like a lot of work, but I said, this is universe kind of. So I joined that course. It was a special 18 months program for teachers, for coaches. 
And suddenly I realized that everything I knew about leadership, I knew all of this as you do. But what I learned there is everything is grounded in research. Every single piece of my people leadership program that I developed 20 years ago, 15 years ago, was grounded in research. And suddenly it was like, wow, I had the left brain and the right brain. I had the knowledge and, you know, the, the facts to prove it. And then as serendipity goes, you know, just as I finished the course, I was approached here by Singapore Management University to teach happiness for young managers. And, you know, Singapore is probably the epitome of this, you know, achievement. It's, it's a very achievement-oriented society. It's a great nation. I'm, this is home for the last 10 years. There's a lot of amazing, you know, the turnaround that this country has delivered is insane. But I think it's like everywhere in the world, you know, the pendulum has gone too far where people are so much around, you know, making money, achieving results. That's when kind of the, the, the key for happiness is success. Well, this and is what I call success empty because it's success without the fulfillment. You feel yeah. empty inside, right? So yeah. many countries and cultures are celebrating that yeah. And there's amazing research that shows that it's not success that leads to happiness, but happiness that leads to success. Right. And really understanding the notions of that. So I started teaching that. Right. And at the university, these are 19 year old Singaporean students. And I did a very provocative one of my favorite workshop is find your why. And I take them through a whole journey of understanding their heritage, understanding their superpowers, and how can they use that superpower to really bring it, you know, to change the world. And one student, you know, stood up and he, he said to me, Prof, I love this workshop. I know what my purpose is, but I'm going to put it aside because I have to be a corporate slave for a few years and then I'll get to my purpose. And that word, corporate slave, right? My hair. Mm. <laughs> stood up, right? Because as you said earlier, I know it doesn't have to be that way. And I want to save all these young students. You don't have to be a corporate slave because when you get into the rat race, suddenly you're 50 and you're like, what the hell went on here? And you can do the and. You can be successful and do what you love. Yes. And that really led me to what I'm doing today, which is basically taking everything that I've learned, my journey on these contrasts. So it started with understanding how myself, the same personality in one culture, I thrived. I delivered 200%. My ROI was 200%. Same person in another company that was all focused on ROI Okay, I know they think I delivered. I know I gave 15% of my capabilities at best. And seeing that contrast and hearing that students made me decide to pivot my career and really focus on going back to the lion's den, going back to the corporate world, corporate world and working with leaders to bring out, bring back their heart, the, the workplace. And you asked me, what does exactly it mean? What does it mean leading more like a girl? What does it mean leading from your heart? So 
I typically kind of call it coming from marketing and you will appreciate, I call it my 5P model. Okay. I hate to say I created it because it's based on, you know, different leaders, you know, Martin Seligman calls it PERMA and, you know, Talvin Chahar calls it SPIRE, but philosophers and psychologists and everyone agree that there's typically five areas that are critical for thriving. Okay. It's the idea of mind, body, and soul. So on the mind side, okay, the first P, I simplified it and called it 5P, easy to remember. My first P is around purpose. And that's what I spent, you know, and that's what I spent the beginning of all my kind of program. Because if you don't know what your superpowers are, you are not able to be happy. This is the base of everything. He who has a why can endure any house. That is the core. And, you know, it is understanding the big picture, but understanding the small things as well. I don't know if you saw the movie Soul recently. I I did. (laughs) You know, for me, that was like, that's my motto. Have an idea of where you're heading, but don't forget to enjoy the view on, on the way because purpose is not just waiting for the one big thing and then I'll be happy. It's inserting those little magical moments into every single day. It's asking yourself, am I bringing my strengths to work every single day? That was another, you know, Bible that changed my life. Okay, first break all the uh, rules. You know, 2001 Gallup did a research. Is it more important to focus on strengths or weaknesses? 60% said weaknesses, that's how we grow. But it's actually those 40% that focuses on strength that had two times the likelihood of succeeding. But the same research found that only 12% of employees, even today, focus on their strengths every day. Hmm. So that's the first thing. Our strengths strengthen us, our weaknesses weaken us. That's what happened to me in my work. I forgot about my strengths. I was only focusing on my weaknesses and I weakened it only when I went back to my strengths that I was able to succeed. So the first P is all around find your purpose, work with a coach, find a way to dig deep inside, look at what you're doing. What do I love about what I'm doing? What am I good at? And how can I bring it together to contribute to what the world needs? I love that. Yeah. And I hate to rush you, but we're going to probably have to go through the next four P's in like five minutes. You good? You the keys and we'll talk another time, but it's basically the second one is all around perseverance. Okay. This is growth mindset. This is around every failure is opportunity to growth for growth. It's about, you know, finding the win-win dancing with adversity. Don't fight, don't flight, see how you can stand next to your opponents, see where they go in, understand empathy and then lead them into a dance. Mm. That's kind of the, the third. And, you know, this is an obvious one, but we're not doing it as much is physical wellness. Okay. Zoomania, zoomania right? How, how do you take care of, you know, meditation, eating, you know, movement, sleep, all of the basics. But today it's not about managing time. It's about managing energy. So that's the third one. The fourth one is people, and that's the most important one, okay? As Harvard showed, the number one driver of happiness is people. People, people, people. How do you nourish relationships? How do you nourish relationships at work? You know, how do you connect with the heart throughout? And, you know, we talked that. And the last one is emotions, okay? The, the P is really the perspective there, positive perspective. Mm. How do you understand your emotions, all emotions, 
are legitimate. Okay, so we, stop, we need to stop thinking that it's only positive emotions and we need to hide away the negative emotions. The negative emotions are just a mirror, a trigger to understand that we need to understand what's going on. And, you know, the most important, you know, emotion is gratitude. And that's what I'll end up with. It's really this understanding that, you know, when we focus and I'll quote, you know, Tal Ben-Shachal, and he talks about the double meaning of the word appreciate. When we appreciate the good things in our life, the good in our life appreciates. Oh, it's one of my favorite quotes. I just got chills again. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, that's such a beautiful place to wrap this up. I could, I mean, let's be honest, you and I have spent hours on Zooms and we will continue to spend hours on Zooms. And I want to invite you back because I want to dig deeper into a lot of this. I also want to respect everybody's time because I love that the this community gives us an hour-ish and you know they give us lots of grace when it's yummy and this is yummy. So let me ask you this. Before I ask where everyone can find you, because no doubt people are going to want to dig a little bit deeper into your world because you're a font of knowledge and inspiration in this space. When is this book going to come out? Do you have oh, sort of a target? A million. So the book is written and it's now looking for a publisher. So okay. I decided not to self-publish, but to go because I want this baby as wide as possible. And I'm super excited. So I hope by end of 2021. And, you know, I, you know, the mission, again, it's linked to a bigger purpose that I want a percent of the proceeds to really go towards building Lead Like a Girl schools. helping. You yes. Know. Oh, my God. That's a brilliant vision. And that's, you know, and it's bringing all together. It's really men, women connecting, daring, so we can together, you know, it's time. The world needs it. God knows how much the world needs it. Mm. So it's how can each one of us really step into our courage and lead like a girl. So Oh, beautiful. <laughs> well, you know, I'm in your camp and, and any way that I can support that mission and get that sucker published, I am all in. So let's keep talking about that. And... So don't forget, where can everyone find you? Because I'll, I'll include all kinds of the links that you talked about in your mentors and your TEDx talk and all the things. So, but where can people find you and follow you? Well, I think the best is LinkedIn or my website. You can have an early sign up for the book uh, to be invited for the you know launch. There's also a few free webinars there. I think if if this resonates, I would be so grateful if you would share, you know, anyone who's looking, share the TED. I think that's our way to create a dent in the world, to lift others as we rise and to continue, you know, bring in this kind of heart so we can all be, you know, more resilient and happier at work. So LinkedIn website would love to see, would love to connect with all of your, your listeners. Amen, fellow rebel souls. So Dahlia, thank you. I... I love talking to you. I learn something new every time. And I am just, I'm blown away by all of the science that you have to support this purpose as well. And I learn something new every time. So thank you. I'm blown away and I don't want to end this, but I'm going to because, <laughs> because I have to. Your passion to bring, because it's this when we're fighting for, rebelling for, I love that. Mm. That's you know, when you're in a struggle, that's when you really understand, you know, yeah. your, your passion. So I, 
you know, I'm really, really grateful for you and for being here today. Oh, I am so grateful for you. I'm so grateful for the work you're doing in the world. And thank you for inspiring all of us and reminding us of our freaking superpower and to really tap into our hearts. And yes, sister, thank you. Thanks you guys for listening, for hanging on. I, some of these conversations I love so much and they're so juicy and I want you to get the benefit of them. So I, I let them go on for a little bit longer because well, hell, it's my show and they can. And also, why would we want to cut off all of this goodness? You guys, there is, there's lots of bad news in the world. So for me, I just love the idea that we can keep spreading inspiration. And I hope it got you guys all one step closer to your happiness, bringing more joy and resilience into your workplace and really leading from the heart. So thank you for listening. And we'll talk to you next time. Dahlia, thank you. Bye. Hey, Rebel. Thanks for listening. If you were inspired by what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review so our fellow Rebel souls can find us. We have big work to do together. And if you want to dive deeper, head on over to my website at soulbatical.com and follow me at soulbatical on Instagram. Until next time, stay bold, brave, and badass. And never stop asking, what am I rebelling for?